Welcome again to the Science of the Covenant special edition. This week we are celebrating Shavuot today. And if you haven't tuned in to the first one, we ask that you go and revisit the first one as this is a continuation of Richard Pastor Richard Washington talking about Shavuot. Pastor, it's over to you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, as we pointed out already today, we were looking at the salvation of the seasons and we were pointing out that Elohim sees the seasons in two aspects and one of the aspects is he has seasons for weather in which we have certain climate and then there's a seasons for his festivals so you have those two type of seasons but as we have pointed out in our last discourse that there's a correspondence between the climatic seasons of weather and the festival seasons of his moidings. So when we looked at that, we saw the correlation. And now in this particular discourse, what we want to look at is the correlation of the seasons, uh, the climatic seasons of weather and the festival seasons in the sense of the crucifixion. So we are talking about the correlation of the seasons with the crucifixion. And just before we get into our discourse, let's have a, a prayer. Eternal Father, as we continue to celebrate Shavioth and as Shavioth is coming to an end, we thank you for the privilege of being able to entertain ourselves with the scriptures and with the redemptive blood of Yeshua, that as we enter into these festivals, they can be very redemptive to us in preparing us for the second coming of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, as we open the word of Elohim, we ask that you will speak to each one of our hearts, speak to those, O Heavenly Father, in distant places, speak to us near and far, speak to us, O Heavenly Father, where we are sinful, and speak to us where we are righteous. And may, O Heavenly Father, the righteousness should center to grow stronger and our sinful areas, O Heavenly Father, continues to be wiped out. That when Yeshua does come, that he can find us cleansed and washed in the blood of Yeshua, looking forward to his second coming. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray, amen and amen. Now, we're dealing with the correlation of the seasons with the crucifixion. And as I've stated thus far, we observe the climatic and the festive seasons align themselves together. And what we can also observe is that Shavioth is a fourth annual feast which positions itself in the center of the annual festivals, there are three seasons. We have the spring, the summer, and the fall. Let us now make an application of these things as they relate to the crucifixion of our Messiah, Yeshua. As we pursue this study, let us again start with the vernal feast, then the summary feast, and then the optimal feast. 
So when we deal with the invernal feast, we're talking about the spring feast. When we deal with the summer feast, we're dealing with the summer. And we deal with the autumnal feast, we're dealing with the fall feast. So we want to look at this uh, from the standpoint of the crucifixion. So the first vernal, so the vernal feast, we discovered already that we have three spring feasts tied to the springtime of the year. What we want to do at this juxtaposition is to see in some ways how they are associated with the crucifixion of our Messiah, Yeshua. Let us now observe the vernal feast of Passover. So the vernal feast of Passover, this is the first of the annual feast. When we speak concerning the vernal feast of Passover, it is in regards to uh, the spring season of which Passover occurred. So when we think about Passover, we have to think about spring because that is the very season in which it took place. Now I want to turn to the book of John, the gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. And in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, in verse 1, and here Yeshua uh, speaks uh, to his disciples. And we want to see what he says to them. And that's the book of... uh, in the Gospel of John, and in that Gospel of John, we want to look at the first verse. Okay, so here it reads, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Yeshua knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So what we are looking at here is Yeshua himself is recognizing that the the Passover hour is coming. And he's going to be betrayed and he he is going to be put to death. So Yeshua, our Messiah, was crucified on the eve of the 14th day of the first month in the first season of the year. Let us probe into some possible reasons why Passover occurred in the first season and also being the first annual festivals. So why is it that that we have Passover being the first annual feast and it also comes in the first month, and it also comes in the first season. So he uh, apparently he's starting he's starting the festivals with the Passover. So let us see some possible reason why why would he start with Passover? Now, many of you who have been listening to some of the podcasts uh, that we have been broadcasting recognize that. Whenever Elohim deals with the human race, he first, well, let's put it this way. Whenever we deal with Elohim, we must first start 
with the blood. We have to start with the blood. But when Elohim deals with us, he, he has to start with the spirit, okay? So we want to see why is it that Passover is one of the first feasts he has given us. There must be a reason for that. So let us turn to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, we want to look at a few verses there. Genesis chapter 3. I want to start with verse number 17. And here it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened un unto the voice of thy wife, thou hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So here we, we, here we see a, a close connection between Adam's sin and the earth. And one of the consequences of, of that sin was that when he broke the covenant with Elohim, he not only cursed himself, but he also uh, caused the ground to be cursed. And so when the ground was cursed, Elohim said it was going to bring forth thorns and thistles, and it would not yield to him uh, as it would have yielded had he not sinned. So when we look at that, we have to see uh, that when the Bible speaks constantly, that when we sin, then the land is cursed. Now, did the land sin? No, the land didn't sin. It's the people that sin. And because the people sin, then Elohim says the land has sinned. But we see a correlation at the fact that even though the Bible speaks about individuals sinning, and then he says the land is sin, we see in Adam's case that when he sinned, it brought upon the earth of sin as well. So the earth is resting under a curse. So when Adam transgressed, the earth rested under a curse. Therefore, in order to atone not only for Adam's transgression, but also for the earth, it would take the atoning blood of Yeshua, our Messiah. Okay, now when we read in Genesis 3.15, the atoning blood would come from the Messiah. Now, who was the Messiah? Well, back in Genesis, it points out who the Messiah would be. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity, in other words, I will put hatred, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So that was a prophecy that Yeshua would come, and when he would be bruised on the cross, he would uh, be atoning for the sins of those who had transgressed his covenant. So the first Adam came, the curse of the earth. The second Adam, Yeshua, would bless, bless the earth. So what we see is the first Adam cursed the earth, the second Adam blessed the earth. So by our Messiah being crucified on Passover, in the spring of the year, he was redeeming 
the mankind, he was redeeming mankind. He was redeeming the earth and he was redeeming the time. To redeem the time meant that he was both redeeming the weather and also the festive times. Why did Yahuwah start with the Passover to redeem us? Before mankind was created, Yah and his son, who would be our Messiah, had formulated a plan of redemption that he did. He would be forming a plan of redemption that if he if that if man sinned, he would make a way of salvation for him to be reconciled or restored back to himself. So in other words, for man ever even thought about sinning, Elohim had already thought for him. And in thinking for him, he formed the plan of redemption. So we want to look in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at the 13th chapter of Revelation. And in that particular uh, 13th chapter, we want to look at verse number 8. Now, in verse number 8 of Revelation 13, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this latter part of the verse says that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So what does that mean? That means that if we go back to the foundation of the creation of this world, uh, Yeshua was the lamb that was slain. In other words, when he and his father had sit down in a council, they decided that when they make man, there was a possibility that man would venture away and transgress the covenant. And if he did, we would allow him to be able to come back to us with this plan that we are laying down. And the plan was that the father and the son, as they talk, that the son would have to come to this world and give his life. And when he would give his life, that would atone for the sins of those who has transgressed the covenant to be able to be reconciled back to him through the blood of Yeshua's death. And when they have accepted that death and walk correctly in the way that Yeshua would have them, then they would be able to come back to him. So in actuality, before he created the world, he actually created a plan of salvation. And it was that the son would have to die. He was to fulfill Genesis 3.15. He would be crushed by the serpent and the serpent use evil men to destroy or to crucify Yeshua. So when we look at that, we have to come to the conclusion is that salvation was not an afterthought. It was something that Elohim had already created. So the blood that Yeshua shed out there on Golgotha was for all mankind, for all the earth, and for all time, and every spring that we come around to Passover, we have to think in terms of the reason why the land is still producing, the reason why we still have fruits and flowers, the reason why we have grains and all of these things coming from the earth is because when Yeshua expired on the cross, his blood touched the earth, and when it touched the earth, 
he was able to redeem the earth and to give it grace in order to continue to be able to produce. So let us turn also to the book of uh, Songs of Solomon, the Song of Solomon. And in the Songs of Solomon, we want to look at, uh, I think, verse uh, stanza 2, Song of Solomon 2. And I want to look at a few verses there as well. Song of Solomon. In other words, we're pointing out that when his blood was shed, that it atoned even the very time in which we live and the times of the seasons and the times of the festival days, they were purified through his blood. Okay, now, when we read and Song of Solomon and we're looking at 2, chapter 2, I want to start with verse 11. Now, notice what it says here. It says, For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines and the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. So what we are looking at here is, uh, the writer says in verse 11, uh, Solomon, he said, lo, the winter is past. Okay, so we know that after winter, the next season is spring. And so after spring, we get summer, and after summer, we get fall. And so what he's saying here is that the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone, and he said the flowers appear. In other words, he's pointing out that when the winter is gone and all of that and the spring comes, then the earth is going to blossom and put forth all of the good things. And as earth began to give forth all of the plants and fruits and vegetation that ought to come up, he is recognizing the fact that this is an indication of spring. So every year when we see and partake of the bounties of the produce of nature in the spring of the year, we should be reminded of the blood of the life of Yeshua who has made all of this possible. You see, when we see the springtime bud, we, we, we are not just looking at uh, the creation of which Elohim established from the beginning functioning according to the laws of nature to reproduce after its kind, but we should be able to see in that as well that these things are possible because Yeshua died and his blood gave grace to this planet Earth to be able to continue to produce and to reproduce. So his blood was for the Earth as well. His blood was for the time of the festival days. His blood was for the time of the seasons. If it were not for his blood, then things would be devastated and we would still be totally under the curse. But with the second Adam, he came to be able to bless the earth. Now, let us go to not only the Feast of Passover, but we find that the second feast, which we call the Vernal Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, what we want to do on, on the Vernal Feast of Unleavened Bread this is the second annual feast in the spring was that of unleavened bread. 
Okay, now we want to look at the unleavened bread feast and tie that to the cross as well. What we want to keep in mind is that when Yeshua said to his disciples that he was to be represented by bread, then we want to look at that bread that he was going to be represented by. Now let's turn to uh, Matthew. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and also verse 26, Matthew 26, 26. Now, when he was sitting with his disciples just before uh, they were about to crucify him, because he already said in the book of John, the first chapter, I mean, the 13th chapter and verse one, he said his hour had come. But before his hour had come, he he sat with his disciples, and here's what he said to them. In verse 26 of the 26th chapter of Matthew, he said, and, and as they were eating, Yeshua took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, take, eat. This is my body. So here in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he is pointing out to his disciples that this bread was going to represent his body. He was speaking about unleavened bread. Okay, now let us see what Paul says about this bread. And we want to turn to 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, we want to look at chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we want to look at verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And here we have in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, here it says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even... The Messiah, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. So here Paul, he speaks about this bread. He said, for even the Messiah, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. And notice what he further says. He goes on to say in verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see in verses 7 and 8 of the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians that Paul is reiterating the fact that Yeshua's body is represented by the unleavened bread. Now what we must also understand is that this unleavened bread of which Yeshua and Paul speaks about as being the body of Yeshua is made from barley without any leaven in it. Anything, any, anything with leaven is sin because leaven represents sin. Any leaven in this bread would represent sin and there was no sin in our Messiah. So they couldn't put any leaven in, in the bread, this matzah bread must be unleavened. When we eat barley bread with leaven 
without leaven, it nourishes the body. And when we eat the spiritual body bread, we partake of the pure, innocent, and righteous life of Yeshua the Messiah. So his blood blesses both that which we eat and the eater of it, because along with the bread, he said, I want you to take the fruit of the vine, and the fruit of the vine would be able to represent his blood, and his blood is that which sanctifies us. So when you take the blood or the grape juice and the bread, you're taking the blood and his body and you're putting it together, and through that process, it brings about sanctification. So when we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we must see the cross of the crucifixion in unleavened bread. And then after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we had a vernal feast of first fruits. Now, this is the third annual feast, which is the first fruits, and it comes in the spring of the year when vegetation begins to bud, bloom, and to blossom. So what we are pointing out here is that all of these feasts have a connection with the cross. It starts at Passover and it moves on down through each one of the feasts. So now that we come to first fruits, we want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. And here in the 15th chapter... Uh, we want to read verses uh, 15, no, not 15, we want verse 22, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we want to start with verse number 22. And here it reads, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. It says, for as in Adam all die, even so in the Messiah shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, every man in his own order. And he goes on to say, the Messiah, the firstfruits. And afterward, they that are the Messiahs at his coming. So when we deal with firstfruits, this first this third annual feast, first fruits, comes in the spring of the year when vegetation begins to bud and to bloom and to blossom. Here we found in, Revel in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23, that it speaks about two first fruits. It speaks about Yeshua being the first fruits. He's the first fruits. He's the first fruits from the dead. And then it says there's another first fruits that would come after him, and they are the Messiahs at his coming. Now, what we notice here, he said, Messiah come forth as the first fruits, but then he has some more first fruits that when he comes the second time, that they are also his as well, and they are known as his first fruits. Okay, now let us turn to Matthew. Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 27, 
Matthew chapter 27 is what we want. And we want to get a few verses there. That's Matthew 27. And I want to start with verse number 50, 2750. All right, let's look at the 50th verse. Of Matthew, that is. Matthew 27, starting with verse 50. And here it says, Yeshua, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So what we see in Corinthians 15, 22, and 23 is that Yeshua is the first fruits. And then after him, he said there will be other fruits at his second coming. But what we also notice that when he came forth out of the grave, he also brought some first fruits. And he said, when they came out of the graves, they went into the cities and they began to witness. So what we are seeing here is that the reason why they could come out of the graves and reason why when he comes the second time and they come out of the graves, they will be redeemed is because they accepted of his blood. And when they accept his blood, they accepted his life. And when they accepted his life, his life was found in the Torah. And as they live that life, and Yeshua returns, and even if they are dead, they'll be the first fruits from the grave because they ex accepted his blood atonement for their sins, and they continue to walk in the way that he wanted them to walk. So we can see the connection between the first fruits and the crucifixion. Now, isn't it ironical that the feast of first fruits came in the springtime when things of the earth were budding and sprouting? New life comes to our earth every spring, which portrays to us that the resurrection of the righteous dead, they will receive new life, new life in that which sustains the life of man and new life of man himself. This new life comes from the crucified blood of Yeshua, which makes all this possible. So here we have three annual vernal feasts coming in the spring of the year, all connected to the crucifixion of our Messiah and his blood that he shed on the cross. So we looked at those three feasts. Now, let's go to the summary festival. While there is only one festival of Yah in the summertime, Yet its significance cannot be minimized in importance. It is during this summer season that we get our fourth annual feast we call Shavuot. Let us see the connection between Shavuot and the crucifixion of our Messiah, the summary feast of Shavuot. The this fourth feast of Shavuot, which came in the summer, of the year at a time when the wheat was ripened and they were to bring two loaves of bread according to Leviticus and Leviticus let us turn to Leviticus 23 
in Leviticus chapter 23, and notice what it says in verse 17. It says, Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two-tenth deals, that they may be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits of Yehoah. So what we see here, they are to make take two wheat loaves of bread, and they were to put leaven in, in there. Now, this leaven bread was made, this, this wheat bread was made with, le baked with leaven. It is, it is pointed out that these two wheat loaves of bread were the first fruits unto Yehoah. What we notice is that this bread contains leaven. So what we are observing is that the barley bread, the feast in the feast of unleavened bread, represented Yeshua who had no leaven of sin in his life. You see, the barley bread is different from the wheat bread. See, the barley bread represented Yeshua, the Messiah, but the wheat bread is representing us and those whom he has redeemed. So when we read in the 17th verse of the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, where it says, where it points out that, uh, it points out in the latter part of the 17th verse of Leviticus 23, it said, they are the first fruits unto Yehoah. So he's saying they are the first fruits. Now notice that the difference, that they is referring to the, uh, to the, the fruit of the ground, but they also, the fruit of the ground, that is to represent the people. So the first fruits are also the people. As we have read in 1 Corinthians 15 and Matthew uh, 27, 52, you had the first fruits when he came forth out of the grave, and you have the first fruits that he's going to gather from the resurrection when he comes the second time. And, and they are referred to as the first fruits of Yehoah. So they are also the first fruits. The Messiah at his coming will gather them as his first fruits. The blood shed on Passover is what sanctifies the saints on Shavuot. We are told in the parable of the wheat and the tares that the wheat comes from comes forth from the good seed. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. So when we look at the parable of the wheat, let us turn to that parable in Matthew chapter 13. So here in Matthew chapter 13, it, it speaks about who the wheat represents. And so here in the 13th chapter, and we want to look at Verse 29. Okay, now in verse 29, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. It says, But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Okay, so it's talking about the tares and the wheat. Now we know the tares are the evil ones, but the wheat are uh, Elohim's people. Now notice what verse 30 says Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I would say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, 
and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he said, preserve the wheat. Okay, now why did he preserve the wheat? Well, let's read in verse 37. He answered and said unto them, he that sowed the good seed is the son of man. In verse 38, he said, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. So the wheat is the children of the kingdom, and he don't want to destroy those because they are the ones that he's, he's working with. Now, even though they are the children of the kingdom, yet because leaven was in the bread of the wheat, it means that they haven't fully been rid of sin. The blood of Yeshua was still sanctifying their lives. So what we are looking at is the reason why the, the leaven was in the wheat, because we are the children of the kingdom, but Yeshua was represented by the barley with no uh, taint of sin within him, so they could not put leaven in there. But Elohim still have a work to do with us because we have not fully been sanctified. So with that in mind, we see the fact that they could put leaven in those two loaves on Pentecost of the wheat, but the blood is still working in order to cleanse his people. Now, let us now concern ourselves with the, <clears throat> with the, uh, with the, with the autumnal festivals. So we dealt with the spring and the summer festival. Now let's deal with the autumnal festivals. The autumnal festivals are those which occurred during the year's end when the crops were being harvested for the final time. So the autumnal feasts are three, just like the spring feasts are three, the autumnal feasts are also three. You have three feasts in the beginning and three feasts, feasts in the ending. Now, this, this feast was most unique in its characterization of making noise. This is the autumnal feast of trumpets, and they were to make noise, or they were to sound or to blow the trumpet on this day. All day long, the sound of the sofars were blasted all through the camp of Israel. Today, the sound of the trumpet can be compared to the preaching of the everlasting gospel that is found in Revelation 14.6. Let us turn to Revelation 14. Revelation 14.6 says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice. So here we see that the everlasting gospel and, the, and, and preaching with the loud voice, those are the trumpet calls, okay? So we know that the, the optimal feast of trumpets, it occurred on the first day of the seventh month. That was in the fall of the year. And when they would blow the trumpets, the trumpets would be given a sound. And that sound was that they were looking forward to a judgment. So when we think about the Feast of Trumpet, it's, it, it's actually the preaching of the gospel to the world. A part of the everlasting gospel that is to be preached, a part of it is they have, we have to tell the world 
about the blood of the Lamb of Yeshua. It was his blood that atones for us to help us to get ready for the judgment because if his blood can sanctify our lives and we walk in the way that he wants us to walk and the power of the Holy Spirit leads us, then that means we can come through the judgment. But if we do not let their blood be applied to our lives and we walk in arrogance and complacency, thinking that we can make it anyhow without Yeshua, then we will be lost. So the blood is connected to the Feast of Trumpets in the sense that Elohim is speaking to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls everywhere to accept of the blood. And as we accept of the blood, it can atone for us, wash away all of our sins. And when his sins are washed away, he can empower us through the Holy Spirit to be able to walk in the way that he have us to walk. It is the blood that justifies us and sanctifies us to be ready when he comes the second time. Moreover, in the everlasting gospel, it not only points us to the Messiah's crucifixion, but it points us to the judgment. His judgment is portrayed in the next fall feast day, which is atonement. So we have the autumnal feast of atonement. In Revelation 14, 7, it says, it says, saying with a loud voice, fear Elohim and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So what we see in this particular verse is that Elohim is calling with a loud voice to fear him and to give glory to him. He said, for the hour of his judgment is come. And usually the judgment hour comes during the day of atonement. This is the sixth annual feast of the seventh. It appears to be a warning message. Here we find in the feast of, of trumpets, the call of revelation, which is representative of the loud voice. So the loud voice points to the time of judgment. And this occurred in the feast days, 10 days after the day of trumpets. And so when they come to the time of judgment, it largely is dealing with the day of atonement. For it is the only feast of the annual feast that allows us to take an introspective look at the life we are living, whether for Yahuwah or for the world. When we fast and pray and, 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 and go into supplication, Elohim can give us guidance and he can give us cleansing. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, he can give us the blood of Yeshua, which can do the work in our hearts as it should. It is the blood of Yeshua which can effectually do the cleansing work of redemption in our hearts. Then we can celebrate and rejoice in the final feast of the year, which is tabernacles. So the last feast that we are dealing with is the autumnal feast of tabernacles. So once the heart has been cleansed on the day of atonement, this is the third and this is the third fall feast, but the final feast of the seventh. It is a time of the celebration, not only 
of the bountiful harvest of prosperity for the entire year, but the bountiful harvest of those who have accepted the blood of Yeshua and are saved. Now let us turn to the book of Jeremiah. Now in the book of Jeremiah, we want to look at chapter eight, chapter eight, and we want to look at verse 20. And here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now, if the blood of Yeshua has worked effectively in our lives, we can be saved. But if it hasn't worked in our life, by the time that we come to the end of the year, and also at the end of the time in the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, we won't be able to rejoice because we will be saying, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. That's because we did not accept the blood of Yeshua, and as a result, we can be lost. Now, we want to say this in conclusion. In, in conclusion, Now, when you look at the seven-branch menorah, the seven-branch menorah can be compared to the seven feasts. And if you look at the seven feasts, the one that is in the middle is Pentecost. Okay, that is Pentecost. It, it, it is in the center. Now, when we look at the menorah, it also not only represents, uh, it not only represents the seven feasts, but it, it shows the position of where Yeshua was on Pentecost. Okay. So when we look at the book of, uh, the first chapter in the book of Revelation, what we notice here in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, that when John was writing, he saw Yeshua. And the Bible says here in, in, the, uh, in the first chapter of Revelation, he points out his position. And we notice there were seven churches, but the Son of Man, the Bible says, in verse 13 of the first chapter of Revelation, it says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with his garment down to the foot and gird about the peps with a golden girdle. So in other words, we see that the Son of Man, where is he? He's in the center. And this is why Yeshua said, I am the branch. And you are the branches. And if you look at a menorah, you have that center branch, which they call the shaft. And on each side, you got three branches coming out. And on the other side, you got three branches coming out. And so what we have is the life of Yeshua. He is the vine giving us the grape juice or the blood. And when we get his blood, what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now notice the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and that is also in the center uh, shaft of the menorah. So the Holy Spirit and Yeshua represents the center shaft. So when we look at Pentecost, it has three feast days on one side of it, and it had three feast days on the other side. It has three spring feasts, and then you have the summer feast, which is Pentecost, and then you have the fall feast, which is unleavened bread, which is the first, uh, the trumpets and atonement and tabernacles. And so when you have Yeshua, 
you have his blood going through the vine of each of the branches, and you have the Holy Spirit going through the, each of the feast, festival days, and it's given us his blood, which is life, and it's given us the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the only uh, power that we have or the only person that can take the life blood of Yeshua and interwoven into our blood to make us like Yeshua. So when we look at the festivals of Yeshua, uh, of Shavuot, Shavuot is the center feast. It is one of the most important feasts to be able to get the power of the Holy Spirit to go with the blood of Yeshua to make us his children. Father in heaven, as we close the day of Pentecost, as we close the day of Shavuot, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood may be ours, O oh Heavenly Father, to continue to inundate our lives in such a way that he can take the blood through these feast days and teach us how to be more like Yeshua. And when he does come, we can be the first fruits from the grave if we are dead, but if we are living, we can be the first fruits of the 144,000. Now bless us to this end. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen.